Good morning once again to all of you. As I mentioned at the start of our service today, we are continuing in this series on the life of Moses. This is week three. And uh, in this series, um, we hope to really just kind of take apart Moses' life and just look at all sorts of different ways that God used this man, Moses, um, how God worked through this man um, in a lot of different ways. And the, the funny thing about Moses and his life is that most of the things that we know and can, can recall from memory from maybe when we were kids and going to Sunday school or something like that, most of the things that we can recall from the life of Moses happen in his retirement years. It happens in the last third of his life. And you have these kind of first two-thirds of his life and the middle third of his life, which we're going to be talking about today, really covers just a handful of passages And then we have so much information that covers the last third of his life. And so kind of an easy way to remember this life of Moses is by thirds. There's a 40-year segment, a 40-year segment, and a 40-year segment. There's the first 40 years of his life where he's in Egypt. Kind of the first thing that we're told about Moses, we talked about this two weeks ago, is when his mom had to push him into the Nile River um, because Pharaoh had ordered the murder of every baby Jewish boy in the land of Egypt. And so his mother pushed him into the river, and uh, God watched over him. He's rescued from the river. He's brought into uh, Pharaoh's, actually, palace, and he's raised, basically, as a prince of Egypt um, for the first 40 years of his life. And that chapter of his life ends when Moses gets this idea in his head that he is going to basically be the hero of his Jewish people, and he murders an Egyptian thinks that he's going to get a following of Jewish people, and instead they turn on him, and a bounty is put on his head by Pharaoh, and he has to flee Egypt. And that starts this middle section of his life, these middle 40 years that we're going to talk about today. The last 40 years of his life, just to kind of give you a preview and just to kind of put this all together, last 40 years of Moses' life, I mean, this is the whole um, let my people go, This is the whole ten plagues, it's the walking through the Red Sea, Um, it's the the golden calf, it's the ten commandments, it's the wandering in the desert, all of that, you know, all the stuff you know from the movie, all of that happens in the last third, last 40 years of the life of Moses. And today, we're just going to focus on this middle section of his life, these middle 40 years. And there's a very familiar account that takes place in these 40 years. I think when we start reading Exodus chapter 3, many of us are going to be familiar with the, uh, the account that we have here um, of this part of his life. But before we kind of get into it, um, I just want to let you know that what God is doing in Moses' life, in this middle third of his life, is God is teaching Moses a very, very, very important life lesson. And it's a lesson that we need to learn as well. And I think it's great for us to have this opportunity this morning to really talk about and look at what is God trying to teach Moses because God wants us to have this same certainty in our lives as well. And the certainty has to do with two things. There's kind of a two-part to this certainty that God wants us all to have. It's got to do with this. God wants us to be absolutely certain of who we aren't and to be absolutely certain of who he is. Now you think about Moses. Forty years, he's now been wandering in the wilderness. He's been a shepherd. 
Um, so it's been 40 years since he left Egypt, and probably somewhere at the start of this 40-year segment, in the middle of his life, um, he ends up getting married, he has a son, he's now working for his father-in-law in the family business of shepherding sheep. And Moses has now been shepherding sheep for somewhere around 14,000 days of his life. And for probably many of those 14,000 days in his life, he's probably thought back to the end of that first third of his life when he was essentially a colossal failure. When he thought he knew what he was supposed to do with his life and he got it wrong. When he thought he was going to be the hero and he failed. When he thought that he was going to be the one that would rescue people And it turned out it was not supposed to be that way. And now for 14,000 days, many of them, Moses has probably lived with the regret of those past mistakes. Moses has probably lived with the questions of, God, you know what? Here I am now. I'm 80 years old. I've got a great education. I've got some life experience. I've got a wife and a son. I've got a job. And every single day I've got regret and I've got shame and I've got trouble trying to figure out, is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? Isn't that the way life in the middle is sometimes? Some, some things we, we feel like we've got it together and we've got some life experience and some things are going well and then there's all of those times when we're just wondering, God, is this it? Is this really what you want for my life? And I've got some regret, and I've got some, some shame, and I've got some guilt in my past, and I'm just not really sure. What's going on? You know what God's message for you today is? You need to be absolutely certain of who you are not, and absolutely certain of who God is. Now to start talking about this idea of who we're not, I want to take you back all the way to the very beginning, like the very beginning of of time, of creation. Let's go all the way back to day six of creation, all right? So put yourself back in the garden. For five days now, God has been creating things, and it's absolutely amazing what God is doing. I mean, think about it. God speaks. He simply says something. And out of the absolute nothingness, there's, there's this void of anything. God speaks, and this great and grand and marvelous creation that we live in just forms at God's command. And for five days, God has been speaking, and amazing, amazing things have been happening in the creation of the world. You get to day six. And I don't know if the angels were there on day six, but let's just imagine that they were, okay? So day six, the angels are there, and there's God, and God says something unique on day six. He says, let us make man. It's kind of the first time that God is announcing what he is about to do. And for the angels, I would guess that they kind of lean into that moment as God kind of is is letting them know what he's about to do. And as the, mo- as the angels lean in on this moment, I would imagine that they are thinking to themselves, God is about to speak. He's about to say a word. And there is going to be this thing that he calls man. And yet that's not how it happens on day six. On day six, God says, let us make man. And then God gets down into the dirt 
and the dust and the clay of the earth. And he gets his hands dirty. And he pushes and he scrapes and he shapes out of the dust of the earth this being who is lifeless and motionless there on the ground. And the angels are thinking to themselves, what is going on? God is supposed to speak. And it's, he's getting his hands dirty. This is not how it's supposed to go down when God creates something. And then God, with his hands still dirty, gets down on his knees and he breathes into Adam the breath of life and Adam becomes a living being. The crown of creation. Nothing more than worthless dust. Mankind. Nothing more than worthless dust when you get down to it. Now can you imagine, on day six, after God had pushed and scraped and shaped Adam, that being, into the dust of the ground, can you imagine if God would have stepped back and then walked away and the wind would have picked up? What would have happened to Adam? He would have blown away because he was worthless dust. Can you imagine on day six, had, had God pushed and shaped um, Adam, this being, into the dust of the earth and then walked away? And what would have happened had it rained? He would have had a, a puddle of mud. What used to be Adam. Why? Because he's nothing more than worthless dust. Mankind, when you get down to it, is really nothing more than worthless dust. I would think Moses, in this middle section of his life, with all of the questions of his past, all of the wondering, all of the guilt, and 14,000 days to think about it, oftentimes probably was thinking to himself, you know what? I'm dust. I'm nothing special. That's a good reminder for us today as well. But as we're going to see in just a moment, that's not where God leaves us. That's where we need to start today. Nothing more than worthless dust, but that is not where God leaves us today. So, turning to Exodus chapter 3, again, picking it up, Moses is 80 years old. Um, He's been tending sheep for the last 40 years, and he's now out on his own with his sheep. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So as a shepherd in ancient times, and especially in Midian and where Moses is, basically what you did is you set out finding water and food. That's what sheep need, finding water and food for your sheep. When you kind of cleared out an area, you just move further. And you cleared out an area, and you move further away, and you move further away, and you move further away, and you just kept moving further away. So Moses now, we don't know how long he's been out in the desert, and we don't know when's the last time he's seen a human being, but he's got his sheep, and he just keeps moving further and further and further away, continuing to provide water and food for his sheep. Verse 2. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now Moses does not know at this point that this is the angel of the Lord, that this is God that's about to do something in his life. So Moses is just tending sheep. 
we're let, being let known here, or knowing here, that uh, it's God that's about to do something, something. So there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, in the desert here, in the scorching heat, um, where you've got basically tumbleweed that grows, it probably is not necessarily all that uncommon for a, a bush to basically start on fire. It's so hot, the heat is so scorching. So it, this, in and of itself, wouldn't have been all that unique of an experience for Moses. But the fact that this dried-up, dinky little bush has flames on it, but it's not, like, instantly gone, is something very curious to Moses. He grabs his attention, and he goes to see what it is. So, verse 3, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It's got flames, it's dry, but the thing ain't burning up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. Again, Moses doesn't know that God is in the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses answered, Moses said, here I am. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, again, with this account from Exodus 3, but if you've heard this before, perhaps when we get to this phrase where Moses replies, here I am, perhaps you've thought in your head that this is the confident Moses from 40 years ago. He hears the Moses, Moses from the burning bush, and you, you hear this Moses reply, here I am. You need a deliverer? You need somebody to do something? Here I am. That was Moses 40 years ago. Forty years ago, had we been looking for somebody, Moses would have pulled out his resume, would have pulled out his educational experience, would have pulled out his awards and the honors that he had gotten in his life. You know, Moses would have been, you know, of course, I I thought you'd come and find me. If you needed somebody, it's me. This is, that was Moses 40 years old in Egypt. This is Moses 80 years old, 40 years tending sheep. And his reply to Moses, Moses, is one simple word in Hebrew. And it's not, here I am. Moses' reply is basically, yeah, that's me. Yep. I'm Moses. It it is the, the total opposite of what you would have gotten from Moses 40 years earlier in Egypt. And you now have a humble man who spent 40 years looking at his past and realizes that he is not something special. Again, Moses doesn't know, though, that this is God. And yet, what does this tell us about God in these verses? How many of those 14,000 days did Moses feel like he had been forgotten? How many of those 14,000 days did Moses feel as if he was all alone, as if God had abandoned him, as if God were silent in his life? And now 14,000 days later, God knows exactly where Moses is. And God knows exactly what's going on in Moses' life. He saw him kill the Egyptian. He saw him bury him in the sand. He saw him flee. He saw him get married. He saw his mistakes as a a husband. He saw his failures as a father. He saw the sheep that he lost. He knew the regret that he had going on inside of him. And yet he knew where he was. 
God sees the choices that you regret. God sees your shortcomings as a spouse and as a parent. And yet God knows where you are. And nothing in your life can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in your life can disqualify you from the blessing and the calling that God has for you. He knows where you're at right now. And he knows your past and he knows your future as well. And Moses replies with a simple, yeah, that's me. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Moses is scratching his head. What, What do you mean holy ground? What's going on here? Then he said, I am, then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And and if we were there, I think all of us would have done the same thing. We hear that phrase. We hear, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We hear that and we think, whoa, this is almighty God. This is creator of the universe. And we, like Moses, probably would have hid our faces. But just stop for a moment and think about that list of individuals. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How often don't we kind of set those individuals up on a pedestal and we think like these are the superstars of the Bible. These are like the best of the best. These people, they probably had their whole lives together. They probably had everything figured out. They just kind of went through life in like this bubble and they never got their feet dirty in anything and they just kind of were like perfect people and it's no wonder that God used them. It's no wonder that God singles them out. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you know what the truth is? You look at any one of those men's lives and what you are going to find is broken individuals. What you are going to find are men that were failures in life. What you are going to find are men that were not something special on their own. But the grace of God in their lives made them who they were. In fact, it's only because of the grace of God in their lives that they did anything important or significant in their lives. Because on their own, just like Moses, on their own, just like me, on their own, just like any of us, nothing more than worthless dust. Verse 7, the Lord said, Pay attention to these verses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Do you know how many years the Israelites had been in Egypt enslaved at this point? 430 years in slavery in Egypt. And God says, I have seen and I have heard 
and I am coming to rescue them. 430 years. And God had heard the cracks of whips. 430 years, God had heard the cries of babies and moms as they pushed them into the river. 430 years, God had seen the oppression of his people. And it's not as if he didn't care. It's not as if he, he, he didn't have a plan to work this all out. I know nobody here today has been suffering from oppression for 430 years. I know that for a fact. But I don't know how long the seasons of your life have been when you have suffered oppression. When you have had tears. When you have had trials. But it is not as if God does not know. And it is not as if God does not care. He does, and he has a plan, and he is working it out for your good in his own time. And God here for the nation of Israel, after 430 years of oppression, is about to end it and come to his people and rescue them. And he's going to use Moses to make it happen. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And again, 40 years ago, Moses would have been, yes, that's me. Yes, I knew, God, that you were going to use me. This is Moses at 80. And he's got a different reply. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, who am I? I'm not qualified. God, we, I, I've tried this once before. Me plus rescuing the Israelites doesn't work. It was a colossal failure the first time I did this. Not me. I'm not qualified. Do you know how many times a day, by so many different people in so many different ways, that phrase is said over and over and over again? The phrase is simply, God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. God, I am not able to do what you want me to do in my life. God, you know my past track record. You know all of my failures. God, you, you know my, my failures as a husband, as a mom. You know that my job makes me sad. You know that my life is filled with regret. God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And Moses, he doesn't so much have a question. It's more of a statement. And we do the same thing, right? It's not so much of a question. It's more of a statement to God. God, I can't do what you want me to do. God, I'm nothing special. I'm worthless dust. And I can't do what you asked me to do. Verse 12, and God said, God's reply to Moses' phrase, I can't do what you want me to do. God replies and he says, I will be with you. This will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Don't you, don't you just love that? You got Moses saying, God, I can't do what you want me to do. 
And God totally doesn't even address that. God's basic reply is, Moses, you're right. You can't do what I'm asking you to do. But I will be with you. You're not anything special. But I am. Moses, your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus should be on me because I am able. I am able to work this out exactly the way that I have it planned out. And I am going to use you even though you're not anything special. Even though you're worthless dust, I have a plan and I am going to use you to rescue my people, Israel, from Egyptian slavery. Moses goes on, he replies, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is the name? What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now I think, now before, you know, before we get too critical of Moses for kind of questioning God here again, I think that this is actually a pretty legitimate question. I mean, think about this. Moses walks in, he's been gone for 40 years. And Moses walks into Egypt, and all of a sudden he's saying, yeah, I'm supposed to be your deliverer. I'm supposed to lead you up out of Egypt. And they're going to be like, really? Why you? Why now? And Moses, what is he supposed to reply? Yeah, I just came from the desert, and there was this burning bush, and it was talking to me. And they're like, oh, right, Moses, burning bush, talking to you. You've been out in the sun too long. Moses is like, what am I going to say to these people? They're not going to believe me. What's your name? Give me something specific here. I mean, come on. Every nation and every people, they have a God. And I'm just supposed to walk in and say, God told me in a burning bush to come and rescue you? Right. Who's going to believe me? So Moses is like, give me something more to go on here, God. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses is like, give me something more, God. Tell me your name. And God replies, I am. Moses is like, excuse me? What's your name? I am. I am what? No, no, Moses, my name is I am. Yeah, I heard I am. I am what, God? <laughs> There's got to be something more to this. I am? Yeah, God's like, yeah, I am who I am. That's God's name. If he had a name tag on, it would just simply say, I am. You know what, if we were to put a name tag on Moses right now, you know what his name tag would be? I am not. I am not in control. I am not in charge. I am not the focus. I am not first. I am not the savior. I am not the solution to my own problems. I am not the solution to your problems. That's our name tag because we're nothing more than worthless dust. I am not. But I know I am. Think about that. I am not, but I know I am, and I am knows me. Almighty God, creator 
of the universe. Almighty God, who for 430 years has known the oppression of his people, who has a plan, who is coming to rescue, knows Moses. And he knows you too. And we, like Moses, can simply say, I am not, but I know I am. And I am knows me. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And it is simply, I am. I don't know where you're at in life right now. Probably a safe way to say it is you're somewhere in the middle. And you've got some experience. You've got some blessings. Some things are going well. But you've probably got some questions. You've probably got some regrets. Some things haven't worked out the way that you wanted it to. Maybe some of you here today, you're wondering, you know, how you got where you're at right now in life. You're not even sure how you got where you're at right now. And you're not really sure where it's going from this point forward. If you've ever felt, you know, just kind of lost in life, if if you've ever felt kind of nothing when you used to feel vibrant, if you've ever kind of just felt like you're lost in this world, It's okay to say, I am not. Because you know, I am. And I am knows you. I am. What a powerful phrase. I mean, just think about that. As this world spins hopelessly kind of out of control, who can make sense of it? Answer? I am. When when, when nothing feels real anymore, remember, I am. When you need hope, I am. When you need encouragement, I am. When you need a second chance, I am. When you need a savior, I am. I am not, but I know I am, and I am knows me. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Almighty God, grant us all humble spirits, letting go of our our self-sufficiency and our pride, that we would be able to say, I am not, not in control, not in charge, not the Lord, not the center, not the focus, not the solution to my own problems. I am not. And on my own, I, I am, we are nothing more than worthless dust. But God, we thank you because we know I am. And I am knows us. We thank you that you have breathed life into us, that you died for us, 
and that you are our great God. Heavenly Father, on this special day set aside for honoring earthly fathers, we thank you for the blessing of support and love that our fathers have given to us. We ask that you impress upon all fathers the awesome responsibility that they have as husbands and dads. Bless them in, in the ways that they provide for their families, both physically and spiritually. And give them joy and happiness um, and give us all the ability to honor and love and respect our earthly fathers. Heavenly Father, we also thank you for the blessing of our basketball camp this past week. Thank you for the tremendous opportunity that we had to share the message of Jesus with over 160 kids. God, for some of those kids, it was the very first time, perhaps, that they heard that news. And so we ask that it would just take root in their hearts and that we would have opportunities to continue to grow that faith. For other kids, they've heard it before, and so we thank you for that opportunity to grow them in their faith. Thank you also for the large number of volunteers that we had that made that camp possible. We also join together in the prayer you have taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.